2: Two guys of Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and ja on Score North and scorenorth.com. Figure out what the coming days um, will mean for him, but uh, I think he's doing all right. I, I think he's he feels under the weather. He feels sick, but um, nothing you know uh, above and beyond yet at this point. So I think just resting and hydrating is probably. The most important thing for him, um, he was open to discussing, you know, he's up to date with everything that he needs to do on the medical side as far as, you know, vaccinations and everything. So there's hope that, uh, um, you know, he'll be able to take it on and deal with it and uh, come back, you know, fairly quickly. You guys think Rocco has fun at his job?
1: I think he has fun at Like fish on a scale concerts. of 1 to 10. Yeah.
2: He does have fun at Fish concerts. Okay, on a scale of 1 to 10, like 10 being... Just elated to go to work every day and deal with the roster crap that he deals with, and the one being
0: just fire me now. Where do you think he's at right now? I think we're not, right now he's probably at about a four,
1: mm-hmm. three or
0: four. Because here's the thing he is serving, in my opinion, so many people. Like he's doing what a lot of people want, and he has to be the front f- facing guy. Like the one thing that, you know, Terry did for Gardy at the end there after the. Mauer screw up was when he would talk to the media every day to answer questions which well, was he told
2: Gardy to stop talking about yeah, injuries. Right. And then Gardy would get all defensive like well, do not you ask do not you ask Terry what's wrong with you know so and so.
0: But Rocco now is <laughs> he he's the guy and like he is trying his best to dodge questions and not answer questions but yet not seem like a jerk about it. Um so I would say that that job his job to me doesn't seem like a ton of fun i will say this in retrospect it's now abundantly clear why this front office and paul were not going to work like just as far, paul was going to want to manage yes and paul has his own ideas and paul's been around baseball good or bad forever right and so i think paul probably had thoughts on how things should, should run and i think Rocco has thoughts, but they are within the premise of what he's allowed to think too. So I don't think that job to me does not seem right now, despite the success. Like a lot of fun.
2: Yeah. So he's dealing. He's dealing with they just they just called up like four taxi squad players because they have a they have a double header today as we're recording this and uh, and B they got a bunch of dudes on the COVID list and the injured list and then they're unvaxed, going to Toronto exactly. so you have unvax players that can't travel to Toronto. Amen. And it's just a huge mess of uh, of a road trip. But that leads me into here at Mackey and Judd, Daily Minnesota Sports Entertainment, Speculation, Therapy, whatever you need from us. We do statements every single Monday on this show. And boys, oh, I don't know why this isn't working. My uh, button bar.
0: Because it's Tuesday and the button bar is confused because we're doing a Monday, <laughs> Monday segment right. on a Tuesday and the button bar is objecting. <laughs> yep. I'm going to
2: give you statement number one after sitting through 30 minutes of Patrick Roycey and Judd Zolgad just bashing a 29 and 20 Twins team. The senior section of Score North has been too critical of the Minnesota Twins. What if I had told you, all right, guys, so two months into the season, Royce Lewis is going to, uh, is gonna come up and then immediately bang into a wall and be like maybe be injured for X amount of time. Byron Buxton's gonna have chronic knee issues. Carlos Correa is gonna get off to a slow start and uh and the bullpen has like basically no viable lefties. Caleb Thielbar has like a six E R A. What do you think's gonna be the record after two months? And there's a bunch of other things too we yeah, could I'd point. I'd say to. not very
0: good because I, I would say that the teams that they were playing were going to be Markedly better than those teams. Okay, are. So, propaganda from the senior I would section. Say, of, I okay, would say there it is. That they would not. Yes. So the twins no, are saying,
2: nine games good. over yeah. five hundred. The yeah. senior section of Score North, Judd and Patrick, are being too critical of what's been a good baseball team so far.
0: Okay, now let's see them play good teams. They haven't been they haven't been a winning team since May first. They haven't haven't played many winning games. That's my point. Like, that's why I'm... Do we need to actively just, like,
2: bury them every single day?
0: Uh, See, see, I'm not burying them. I am saying I'm going to wait and see until they actually go through at least a semi-gauntlet of good teams to judge them. I'm not being critical. I'm not being critical. I am being realistic. Critical would be, this team sucks. They don't suck. They're nine games over 500. You said it yourself. Nope. (laughs) No, nope, no, nope. This is me turning my head ninety fall, degrees don't, sideways don't, at you. Don't, don't go upside don't down face. Fall in, don't fall into the <laughs> trap. Don't fall into the trap of of cynical being critical.
2: Okay. Well, those up? are those are two very close cousins. Yes. But here's what I'm saying, okay? I don't I don't disagree with some of the things you're suggesting, which is maybe they're not for real, or maybe their pitching is gonna maybe there's some guys in that staff that are gonna come crashing back to earth or whatever. Um I look at the lineup and say, okay, when that lineup is intact, which it very rarely has been, which is another probably credit to my point, Mm -hmm. that's a really good lineup. And they actually, I think they were like fifth in OPS at one point up until maybe a week, week and a half ago. And so all I'm saying is, you know, they've grinded through a lot of crap to this point. I've been critical of some of the decisions that they've made. I don't love the way they handled the Royce Lewis situation. Did he really need to go to AAA? A? He's already played center field for 50 innings in the fall league. Does playing twice in Triple A matter like just keep him up. So, listen, I am I am also questioning some of this stuff. But I feel like feel like you need to say three nice things about the Minnesota Twins before I can move on to the
1: I mean
0: Jud- I cannot
2: I cannot I did this two hit weeks the sounder good, good. until you say some three nice things about I the Twins. I did this two weeks ago. I made though, Judd do this as well. two Fridays. as yes.
0: well. And it was not hard. It was not hard. Um, okay. Thing 1. Gio Urshela is a really nice player and a third base. He's he a nice fella. Re- mm-hmm. He is really da- and I, here. Here's he's what a he is. happy fella. I guess his oh, no. Sterling. Uh-huh. I guess his UZR is not great, but no. I think. But like from watching him you. from the eye test, I think he's really damn good. He's he's a, he's a good,
2: not amazing analytically. He's a good, not okay. amazing third baseman. But he, But I'm defending. He's I'm saying
0: I I've been impressed. Um, thing two thing too i think gary sanchez who's i'm not by the way he's not perfect but i think getting out of the bronx was huge there like i think the pressure cooker and all the stories and i think there were stories about his personal life and he collapsed and a lot of guys do that's a tough place and then
2: we can we can welcome him in with our open arms media and yeah, fans exactly. we're, we're, and we're probably like, not going to criticize you. You can participate uh, in peanut you know, butter or
0: jelly, you know, fun exactly conversations
2: what and rankings. It'll be great. Yeah, Yeah.
0: exactly right. So, so that's thing too. So that trade right now, um, looks pretty good. Looks good. Uh, the third thing. What can be the third thing? I'm trying to think of the most <laughs> positive thing that I can say. Can't even I, think of it. He I'm can't trying, even think of a third trying thing. Trying They're the 29 most, oh, and 20. Oh, he here's the third think. thing. Can't think of a third thing. Here's the third thing. Here's the third thing. Well, no, I was trying to think of the most positive possible third, third thing. Okay. Um, Luis Rise is a damn good player. He is, and, and I don't care if it doesn't fit fit in with today's game consistently. Of what's the expectation? Yeah. You know, who cares about average? Well, I actually, do if the guy's good, he's like um,
2: counterculture. Like he's like a counterculture he puts hitter. puts the
0: ball, puts the, exactly, puts the ball in play. Does a great job. He hits line drives. Um, and guess what? Too, he has. I'm not saying he's perfect there, but we have seen bad play at first base, right? Rise who basically hadn't played there has been, at worst, serviceable. And yep. he's been fine. So that's three things right there. I am much more I'm more of a skeptic. I don't hate this team. I don't hate this team at all. I'm a skeptic until I see more. All
2: right. Is that that's good enough for things. you to can we is it good enough for you to move on here, Declan?
1: Yeah. That's fine. That's fine.
2: I just wanted to I just wanted to
1: it's a lot just of make things. sure that
2: we're, you know, listen, they're they're going through some stuff here, but there it is. Okay. There okay. it is. All, All right. right. All right, you're you're free to give a statement.
1: All right, my, my statement here. Uh it's a math game for the Twins right now. So the Twins have a 29 and 20 record. They're 9 games above 500. They also have a plus 32 run differential. The White Sox, by the way, who are now finally 500 but are still a mess. They DFA D- Dallas Keuchel. They're slowly getting healthy. They are negative 45 in their run differential. The Twins already have an insane cushion here. Yes, they've played some bad teams. Yes, they got spanked by the Houston Astros, who have looked like the best team in the American League, not named the Yankees. But they don't deserve the fact to be just ripped because they're only playing these bad teams. In fact, we're going to see something here in the next 10 games after this Detroit fiasco, where they're just, I guess, there for the eternity, it feels like, where they're going to get the Blue Jays, they're going to get the Yankees, they're going to get the Rays. The latter two of those series at home. We're get to, we're going to be able to see something here out of this ball club. So it's a math game. The Twins have built up this cushion. This is a good thing. And they're still tracking to being a team that should be in the playoffs and not just be a cute wildcard team with the added wild card bonus now in this year in, in Major League Baseball. They're in line to still win this division. It's a math game for the Twins over the next four months. The playoff odds on
2: baseball reference have the Twins. I think they had the Twins at 10 or 12% before the season. They're at 63.4%. To make the postseason, that includes wild cards. Yep. By the way, mm-hmm. and to your point, they don't—they don't have to give these wins back. That's the good news. Like they can—they can go through a stretch where they play some below five hundred baseball and still be above five hundred in July, and then make a trade. Like they—they they have to make a trade at some point to <laughs> uh-huh. bolster pitching bullpen.
0: Yes, a, a a ballsy trade too. They cannot go out and get Sam Dyson again. <laughs> Sam don't Dyson. screw it up. Hate cats. Don't screw it up. Do the run the differential right thing.
2: thing can be a little deceiving early on because, like, if the, if the White right. Sox come out tomorrow and, and win a game eighteen to four, right? You know, but um, but the White Sox just with all the injuries and Dallas Keuchel being DFA'd and Lance Lim injured for the he's first two months to, of season,
0: he, he's I think he just went went uh, to their AAA team to start a rehab assignment too. Anyway. All no, right, no, no. I'm going to defend the Twins and say don't misplace your anger. Royce Lewis playing center field on Sunday, and he unfortunately did get hurt in the third. It seemed like a Twins thing. It seemed like like Royce had prepared to play there by going back and w- watching the greatest hits, literally, of Byron Buxton. But Royce Lewis playing the outfield was not a mistake. Um, look. I would have preferred he pulled up and watched that ball go off the wall and played it, but he didn't. But to be like, well, you see, and I got these tweets immediately, you see, Jud, this is what happens when a guy plays a position he's not used to. First of all, they, they were playing him at different positions in AAA, to which I said, so you're telling me in St. Paul, a level below this, that that could not happen. Balls don't go off the wall there. Like, the game doesn't move fast at all. Second of all, this was... And, and this is where the Twins can perplex, confuse you at times, and frustrate you. But in this case, I'll defend them completely. The process of Lewis playing where he was on Sunday was absolutely correct. Carlos Correa um, is going to play shortstop. And he should. Like, there's no, like, debate, oh, I wonder if Correa should be moved to third base? No. He is a platinum gold glove shortstop. You have one year, probably, of, of this gift. And Carlos Gray is a gift. Like, he was gifted to you by, by uh, um, B- Boris. So that's a gift. So now the question is, how do we get the best lineup on the field possible? And the answer was, and it took 10 days, but okay, the answer was to get Royce Lewis into the lineup any way that you could. But this whole thing of, well, you see, Judd, this is what happens when you ask a guy to play a position that he doesn't play, is a bunch of garbage. The process there was absolutely right. It was a very unfortunate thing. That's all it was.
2: I'm actually going to piggyback off your statement and just go a step further sure. and say, people blaming the Twins for Royce Lewis's knee injury are idiots. It's... Now, could you could I pick Nitz in, did he have to go down... No, just hit him some fly balls, have him take a day off or something if he needs to. Hit him some fly balls or like he he played about fifty innings in the Arizona Fall League in center field a couple years ago. He's a great athlete. It was just a fluke weird play that honestly Byron Buxton could have gotten hurt on the same play and has. Yes. Right? Yeah. And it yes. was and, and it's funny because the people saying, Oh, that play is an illustration of Royce Lewis not knowing what he's doing out there. No, no, no. It's the opposite. That play is an illustration of how great of an athlete he is and how few people can go back, track the wall, still make the play, you know, absorb the contact, and he happened to tweak his knee when he did it. Uh, but I think a lot of guys, I don't think, make that play. They're either not fast enough or athletic enough, or yep. they track the wall wrong or they stop short and the ball bounces off the wall, it's an extra base hit. So unfortunate fluke incident. Hopefully he's not seriously hurt and he's back in the lineup at some point. Maybe after this road trip is over, but yeah, I, I we don't need to be. I don't. I don't think there's a. The pie chart of blame should be 100 percent on just fluke. Whatever. Like, and this is a guy who criticized the Twins for sending him down too. So, right,
0: right,
1: all right, Dex. All right, my next statement is now that it's June 1st, we get to get into hot stove season. So the benefits of being a first baseball club, which the Twins are. Entering June 1st, here is instead of looking at being sellers, which we were already doing that in early May last year, we now get to look at what players they could potentially buy on when the trade deadline happens. I know it's later, but we get into that official hot stove season, right? I feel like June 1st is like the first time you fire up the hot stove grill, right? Where you start to get a little bit of rumors out there. And um, actually, John Heyman at the New York Post over the weekend posted the 10 early candidates that could be on the move come the trade deadline. And Frankie Montas is still the number one option on there. I know Juan Soto is someone else who's probably going to get a lot of interest from the Nationals because they're just awful right now. But the best part about being a first base place ball club is you now get to look at the hot stove season. What things could you add to this team instead of selling off pieces right like oh you're so negative you're going to personify a Jose Barrios trade into existence well if this team stinks then we're going to talk about that a year ago well now the script is flipped right it's a first place it's a first place team and if they can find something else to add to it that's great these are great problems to have if you're a first place ball club like the twins are so hot stove season I'm ready to cook something up I want to see what something. would
2: you what would you guys trade for Frankie Montas at this point
0: because remember the
2: conversations we were having revolved around Royce Lewis, Royce Lewis two months right,
0: ago. Not going to trade him now. Um, I mean, what what would you have to trade? One top ten prospect and one in your top twenty five.
2: So just for some context, he's having a very Frankie montaz like season. He has a a mm-hmm. really good ERA, three point two eight. You know, he's made all ten starts. He's averaging ten strikeouts per nine innings. So he's he's he would slot in as your best starting pitcher. And then you'd have, you if mean? healthy, you'd have a, a top three, a playoff rotation, if you get there, of Montas, Sonny Gray, Joe Ryan. And then whoever else is still around at the...
0: Assuming Gray is fine. DS. I'm a little bit concerned about that, but yes. Um. So wait, So wait. how about a top ten prospect and another one who's in my top Twenty-five. Is that fair? No. I think
2: you'd have to trade two top ten prospects yeah. for sure to get Frankie Montas. It's yeah. a year and a half of Frankie Montas. Keep oh. in mind the A's asking no, price. The A's asking price was like top top guys from organizations. So you'd probably have to part ways with either Austin Martin or Jordan Balazovich, who's your top pitching prospect.
1: Okay, I'd probably do that. And, and it's funny because you,
2: you say this shortstop? now, it's like. Yeah, Martin's a sh- oh it's outfield shortstop.
0: Okay, but you know, two months
2: ago I said on this show, "Hey, Royce Lewis hasn't played a baseball game in two or three years. I'd, I would trade the unknown for a known mm-hmm. because okay. this team just signed Carlos Correa. Let's go for it. Well, now that we've seen Royce Lewis, I think his value has changed because he has shown oh for a two week stretch he can he can rake and he can play some different positions. Mm-hmm. So his so Royce Lewis's value has gone up to me. I don't know that it's worth a year and a half of Montas." Austin Martin could also be an amazing major league player, but we haven't seen it yet. So
0: what would, so what is your opinion? If they made a trade like that for Montas, how far do you think that they can go? Like if you take him and put him into a top three, that does include Ryan and gray. How far? That's a
2: really good starting rotation. I think it would all depend on Byron Buxton. If Correa and Buxton stay healthy, And Buxton can play down the stretch, playing playoff games. That's a rotation that can win a playoff series. So I think, I don't know that I'm putting him in. And then a lot of this depends too, like what what do the Yankees do? What do the Angels do at the trade deadline? The Astros, you're going to run into some really good teams, but it puts you on that level from a starting pitching standpoint. I still think you would need a really good left-handed reliever as well, minimum, to actually have a chance to, like go to the ALCS or something. Would you get smoked in a playoff series by the Dodgers if you made it to the World Series? Probably. Probably. <laughs> I don't know that there's a move well, they can make the, that makes you a World round. Series team, but can you get to the yeah, second yeah. round? Yeah. Yeah, that,
0: that's what My
1: question is, can you win a playoff game, the game. A playoff game a, for the first time? GD playoff game.
0: Well, and and are you going to allow if if you get Montas and you start him in game 1 of your first round playoff Series, for instance, are you going to allow him actually to pitch deep enough in that game to impact it?
2: Four and two thirds. Mm, sorry. 82 pitches. It's
0: it's not a dumb question. Now, I know you man. have a
2: perfect game going right
0: We've now. You've seen it. Yeah.
2: I need to preserve you. Frankie, for... That
0: that's it. But Rocco, I'm pitching so well. No, dude, that's it. Great. Go shower up. Speaking of, preser- this Speaking
2: of preserving, by the way, when it comes to your lake area, Declan, mm-hmm. I feel like you have a product that people should be aware of.
1: You know, I, I took a stroll around Shell Lake in Wisconsin over the weekend. I was at the gal's cabin, beautiful lake, and I noticed something. I noticed that there was no weeds. There was no algae in that pond. And you know what? I bet it was an aquaside, aqua-side lake, an aquaside pond, which you can get. Uh, right now in White Bear Lake, you can call them or go to Aquaside.com. They've been killing lake weeds for over 60 years. They're a local company. They're registered with the EPA and DNR. It's a do-it-yourself product. They give you these Aquaside pellets. You put them in the water. They give you the turn-by-turn instructions, and it removes that algae and that that nasty lake weeds from your pond and lake home. Give them a call. It's Aquaside and Aquaside.com.
2: Also, a shout-out to our friends at Dennis Kirk, This Twins discussion presented in part by Dennis Kirk, which is uh, great if you are into riding Harleys, Indians, Cruisers, sport bikes, whatever you ride. They have 160,000-plus parts in stock, free shipping on orders over $89, and also uh, 0% financing for 12 months on various vehicles. So check them out. Ride more, wait less at DennisKirk.com. My next statement here, boys... The best player this season for the Twins has been Trevor Larnick. And I can prove it. Yeah, mm-hmm. Trevor Larnick leads the Twins in wins above replacement. He leads the Twins in OPS. And he leads the Twins in hard hit percentage. If you're wondering whether it's fluky that he has, you know, 300 batting average and power and stuff, it is not. He has the. He basically barrels a ball up 40% of the times he puts a ball in play, which is pretty crazy. So, uh, you're seeing a guy that probably wasn't, you know, think about the way Miguel Sano was touted and Byron Buxton and even Alex Kirloff. Trevor Larnock was also a first-round pick and a really, really good college bat, but he just kind of flew under the radar when it came to Twins' prospects because he didn't really play a sexy position. He's a corner outfield guy, but um, he might wind up being the best pure hitter of that group of prospects. You know, Byron Buxton, power hitter, is one of the best in baseball in terms of just pure all over the field hitting and power. Trevor Larnick
1: is leading the twins in OPS.
0: He's been fantastic. Yeah. I think there was a stat
1: yesterday that, that since 2021, he averages the fifth most, most distance on his home runs. Like, so when he hits bombs, he hits bombs, like only four other players average more distance per home run than Trevor Larnick. Yeah. He's been phenomenal. He's been awesome.
0: All right. Here's mine. Stop saying first base is easy. I know that this goes back to the A's and well, the concept of, it, well, it is. It, it should be easy. First but. base is easy, but it's a nuanced position at which you have to know what you are doing. And exhibit A of a man who has no idea, and this is why the consistency of the decisions by this team perplexed me, Jose Miranda has no idea how to play first base, and he was put there... I believe they started to to transition him to a little bit of first base with the Saints, and then they're like, okay, go for it, dude. He doesn't know where to be fundamentally. Case in point, the obstruction a couple of weeks ago, where I believe it was against, what was it, Cleveland or Detroit, where he obstructed with um, the guy who was coming around first base, and of course that guy was then... Because of the obstruction, awarded second base and scored with what I believe proved to be the w- winning run, is a byproduct of the fact that Miranda doesn't know even where he's supposed to go. So he was just sort of like, oh boy, what's going on? Oh, sorry about that, dude. Um, the plays yesterday were, in their own way, both awful. First of all, the throw to poor Joe Smith, who's like my age. So he's like, Joe Smith's like, oh, yeah, PFP, man, I'll get over there. And Miranda decides to make an Ozzy Smith-type throw on the run, sort of like jumping. He never sets himself. And, of course, throws it into the dugout. The second one, equally as egregious, Urshela makes this great play and from his ass throws the ball. And Miranda's like, I'm going to stretch for this puppy. I'm going gonna... oh, to, dro- oh, I've dropped it. And now the runner's scoring. These are the nuanced things that are why you have to have some sort of semblance. And I think Arise does. He's probably just a flat-out smarter player. But you have to have a semblance of an idea of what you're doing at that position because you get the ball enough where if you don't, it's going to be exploited badly. So this whole thing of, well, you could just put some guy from the stands at first base is one of the most ridiculous sports things. But
2: that's okay. But let's, let's quantify hard versus easy, okay? Yes, could could we put Judd or me out there in a major league baseball game at first base and have it be easy? No, it would be impossible. Like these towering pop-ups and these laser ground balls and having to figure out, okay, how do I scoop this, you know, this fastball coming from shortstop? Like, yes. Like, is it, is it a hard thing to do athletically for the common person? Yes. But if you're a professional baseball player and you've played harder positions, because first base is among the easiest positions on the diamond to play, not just being thrown into the fire. I'm saying like, you know, given a chance to train a little bit and get used to it. If you played third base before, which Miranda is a natural third baseman, transitioning to first base should not be all that much different or difficult. You're making harder throws from a third base than you are trying to toss a ball to a pitcher from, from the first base side.
0: Absolutely. But the, but the nuance of the position and actual footwork becomes a problem. Like you've got to know what you're doing there. It's not hard to to learn. Like how many guys and how many
2: hacks have learned how to play? Adam Dunn played first base,
0: but did he play it well? And and Miranda's an absolute disaster there. My point is this whole thing of well we'll just put him there and it's going to be fine. But then to say in the same breath, but Royce Lewis needs to go to St. Paul to work on other positions is one of the most ridiculous. That's where the process doesn't make sense. Like we always talk about the process. It's not the result. It's the process. Okay. What doesn't make sense is you've got a guy at first base who cannot play it. Like, he's awful there. But you're like, we'll put him there. But with Royce, it's like, but he has to go back to St. Paul. I That's think why I don't understand it.
2: I literally think that some of these decisions that the Twins are making, I think they're just kind of going day by day, flying by the seat of their pants. Because you're right. Like, okay, we could throw Jose Miranda in the fire or keep him up when he can't you know, make contact. Right. or last year we can put Nick Gordon in center field against the New York Yankees hitting towering fly balls John Carlos Stanton and and Aaron judge for the first time since he was 12 years old somebody asked him before that game and it was you know kind of a similar situation where the roster was thin or whatever and mm-hmm. you know hey we need, we need a new outfielder and they said okay Nick Gordon's a former first round pick wasn't he the fifth overall pick and he was okay. still a, still very much prospect status at the time and a guy that you had high hopes for and without sending him back to triple a to work on outfield they put him in the outfield against the new york yankees and someone said when's the last time you played outfield cuz i think when i was 12 years old i like shagged some balls or something you know <laughs> but then when it comes to rice lewis oh we need to see, you're red hot at the plate we need right. to send you back down for a week so you can work on playing outfield even though you did play 50 innings of outfield in the arizona fall league a year and a half ago so i'm with you on some of these weird just even like the buxton pinch hitting thing you can't question that. You don't understand right. just how much time it takes him to get ready. When he's not playing, it means he's not playing. Two weeks later, we needed to pinch hit in the eighth inning. It's like, well, that's what we were asking about two weeks ago. Right. So I am I am with you in lockstep on some of the inconsistencies in decision making.
1: Jose Miranda is literally taking grounders at first base right now as we record this as we speak. So he's, he's getting this reps. He should be making throws as well. Yes, yeah, that's what they're doing. They're literally having him play it on the second base side and do a little PFP with them, so kind of hilarious. Uh, <laughs> twin statement from me, uh, actually just a self-reporting statement. Because uh, I went to Target Field on Friday night, uh, just kick off Memorial Day weekend. And I remember I went back and looked through my text messages because the Surleys were flowing to you two. Uh, yeah, that's my statement. My Surleys were flowing because my text messages to you two were not making a lick of any sense. And I was having a great night at Target Field, enjoying a beautiful Friday night baseball game as a proud season ticket holder of the Minnesota Twins. That believes in this ball club. Uh, my my statement was the Surleys were flowing on Friday night, and a little bit of a buffoon of the week in my part, but not not too not too crazy. And the Surleys wait, were, what's
2: your statement that you got drunk at a baseball game? And then what I was te- I, te- I was sending you two
1: nonsense. I I was texting you like, two nonsense. On Is this Friday. like an
2: apology or? I don't understand your statement. Yeah, you it's like just like I was just saying. Weird th- the
1: surlies were flowing, and I I was. Not making any sense in our text message. So, Yes, I was just apologizing to you two. I was, I was enjoying too, myself so at a, at a baseball game on Friday night. I was on I don't my even couch be... drunk. Yeah, no. I didn't really. At, care.
0: So you two were probably then drunk too. The Surleys were also also flowing. I'm
1: just
2: I'm just going yeah. back in, so the, in the text thread here. So
0: I'm sure they made perfect sense in my inebriated state, Declan.
2: What were you? Uh, what were you? Oh, there's a couple things in here that we probably shouldn't bring. to Yeah, probably shouldn't bring to
1: the forefront because we are a private show.
2: Oh, here's – here's I have some in, inside information about the Vikings that I'm going to hopefully reveal at some point nice. on Purple Daily this week. There, you go. there um, you go. All right, Friday night here. Let's see here. Oh, it was uh, – <laughs> this is hilarious. Uh, I don't know if any of this is interesting for this show, but we were – yeah, we had a long thread going on Friday night. We did. See? I,
0: I don't remember it at all.
2: Oh, yeah, this is a, a very long thread. Actually, here's one. Um, Declan said, uh, "I have AJ handling social media because I'm going to be drinking beer at the, the game here. So there very, very. Thank responsible. you, AJ. Thank yep. you, AJ. but that Appreciate makes sense. You. That's good. Yeah. good job, Dex. Want to make sure everyone knew that. <laughs> Amazing. Um, speaking of buffoon of the week here, I got your buffoon of the week, and I don't know how I feel about this. I almost sort of hate to do this considering." how great this guy was trying to help his team Uh close out a playoff series. Uh Uh, This, this buffoon of the week nomination is also pretty petty. Just considering the place in my heart that it's coming from. But Jimmy Butler is my buffoon of the week for you guys (laughs) on today's episode. Mm -hmm. So Listen, he had two of the best games you'll ever see in a game six, seven situation where he I think he actually had the second most combined points behind Allen Iverson of a game six, seven conference finals. And so he was incredible fighting through injury.
0: 48 minutes.
2: The Heat had no business being in that game at the end. Yeah, he played all 48 minutes of that game. Yep. And they, it looked like the game was over. Fans started leaving the arena with like three, four minutes to go. They were down by double digits, and all of a sudden they start hitting some shots. Boston starts taking weird shots. Boston just Boston was taking shots early in the shot clock, thinking maybe the game was over. The heat looked all discombobulated, and somehow the heat wind up closing this game down. It's a, it's a two-point game. Boston comes down, misses a shot. Now there's under whatever, 20 seconds to go. And Jimmy Butler grabs the rebounder, the outlet pass, full head of steam, crossing half court, fast break, Al Horford in front of him, six foot nine, six foot ten, Al Horford, who's a really good player, good defender, but you know, he can't stay in front of Jimmy Butler. And Jimmy has a full head of steam. This is a quintessential Jimmy Butler situation where you got the big man on skates. All you have to do is lean your shoulder into him for the and one layup to take the lead in this game with under ten seconds to go. Mm-hmm and he pulls up for three instead, which he's not a great three-point shooter. He's spot up. He can be okay, but fast break, he does kind of a, like, he jumps in the air, and he's kind of leaning forward, so he's not even fully aligned when he's shooting it, and he clanks it off the front iron, and the Heat go on to lose the game. He could have gone in for an easy layup, maybe even an and one to win the game. And... Uh, I know how amazing he was in Game Six and Seven. I don't even really fully criticize him for that decision because you know what? It was a wide open three You're point shot. The
0: buffoon of the week. It's but worse than he, criticizing him.
2: But he had a chance.
0: He's a buffoon, but I don't know. For he this.
2: wants to be a superstar. He had a chance to close that game out and to be the hero. And once again, he's going to be watching the NBA Finals, just like Timberwolves fans do every single year from his couch.
0: I don't know if it's fair to call him a buffoon for this. He is a buffoon. <laughs> but I mean, my God, those last two games, he was—he put that team on his back, um, and yeah, I mean, that shot was questionable immediately. So I get that. Um, but when you carry a team that much through two games and, and then play the entire game, can you be a buffoon? Well, like a buffoon to me is a uh, is like stuff like trying to fight your coach, which of course he did during. No,
2: I get that. I'm I'm trying to shoehorn this in a little bit, and it's based on emotion. Yeah. And this is why I don't confl- like him.
0: So I'm, I'm
2: conflicted him. watching Jimmy Butler because on one hand, part of me roots for him because he's the ultimate grinder. Who's he's, he cares so much. He's maximized his potential and, and he is able to do the things that he's done in the finals a couple of years ago in the bubble. And then game six and game seven. And ultimately, if we're looking back four years ago, he was right about a lot of things, Timberwolves related, right? He was right about Carl Anthony towns personality and, he was right about just, like, his frustration was warranted. Sure. But I hate the way that he nuked the bridge and handled it. Mm-hmm. I agree. Because I think if if he oh, could have yeah. found a way to work with Carl Anthony Towns and even Andrew Wiggins and what he's become, you know, with a better organization, what could have been if that was just more of a, you know, kumbaya relationship between everybody. Right. And so I, I hate the way that he lit the bridge on fire and forced his way out because I'm I'm just – I'd love to know what would have happened if he would have found a way to build a relationship with those guys. And well, in his then, mind, he didn't have time for it. So he's And he did the same thing in Philadelphia. I don't have time for this. Sorry, right. I'm not going to deal with Ben Simmons.
0: I'm out of here. But if he hadn't been a jerk and it works here, then Tibbs is here uh, still. Because, like, the whole thing – the problem was a guy who was a maniac himself and Tibbs went and got Butler, who's crazy, and, like, together they – Together, they very much in their own ways nuked what should have worked, like it should have worked, but it didn't because both were maniacs. Like they, they were. I mean, do you Ballers- think
2: the the, the the Wolves had a chance to give him a huge contract, and they didn't? I so, think t- nice so idea. Tibbs had a chance basically, yeah. Yeah, and it was kind of good. framed as like, well, Jimmy doesn't want to play here, but Jimmy was all about the respect, and the the Heat gave him that respect, right? They gave him that contract, correct? So. If they had, if the wolves had said, "Listen, I know this is tumultuous. I know that you're pissed about some things, but we freaking love you, mm-hmm. and so we're going to give you this four-year max contract." Now, this would have been the, I think, the, maybe the last year, the second to last year of that contract. But how would it would it have been different? Would he have said, "Okay, cool, you committed to me. I'm the max guy. I'm the man here, and so I will then commit to the team"? Or do you Alternate think he would have reality. nuked it anyways?
0: Alternate reality. Um, here's the, I think he would have nuked it because. I think any place that he is not considered the man, and like Cat would have always been seen as a very important, important component, I think Jimmy doesn't, how can I put this? He doesn't play well with others who might be considered more talented or on his par, but I think that he plays well when he can dictate things. So, like, do I think that it would have worked with Cat and Butler long term? Probably not. But here's the thing, too, that I find to be so interesting. Butler is Phil. You're exactly right. Like that guy has maximized everything he's got. Like there is no questioning that. And he is a really damn talented dude. Okay. So, like, putting everything about him that I don't like and despise aside, he's got he's got attributes that a lot of guys don't have that being said, I feel like in watching him, you know, you, you've got the list of guys like him who are on a different, I mean, they're very, very good. But then you got, you know, your Kobe's and stuff, right. And Jordan's who are up like a notch or two, and they can basically do things It in, in that game on Sunday, they don't miss like they find a way to score. And like, so this is the interesting thing with Butler is I think Butler can get his team to a certain point, but because he doesn't necessarily have the ability to, to say, I'm not I'm not there completely. I need some help. I feel like that essentially holds him back from being a championship player. He's so, very, very close.
2: Yeah, I think so. I, I was thinking about this, too. I think you and I are are seeing this similarly in that he he's kind of a tragic NBA figure in some sense and that. He has worked hard enough. He has gotten his game to a level where he's one of the ten to fifteen best players in the NBA now. I don't, I don't know that you can name twelve or fifteen better players than if, if you want to go playoff. Jimmy Butler, he's probably one of the seven or eight best players in the league. He was the best player in that series, and he, and he had to sit out with knee problems, right? Mm-hmm. And like, like, the writers, there was one guy that voted Jimmy Butler Eastern Conference Finals MVP, and the other ones copped out and gave it to Jason Tatum because. He played for the winning team, mm-hmm. um, but he has worked and willed his way to becoming this player. But in the end, his body won't allow him to play that way on a nightly basis because his knee breaks down. Even remember that that bubble game; it was Game Five against the Lakers. The Heat were down three games to one, the series was on the brink, and he goes bonkers for like like a forty point triple double or something. And there's that you know the famous photo of him leaning over the the barricade behind the hoop just completely out of gas you know it's that it's turned into a meme now and then the, and then that was an amazing historical nba finals performance he had nothing left for game 6 he scored like 15 points in game 6 he only took 10 shots in the next game even though he played 40 some minutes cuz he just couldn't right his body couldn't respond um and then on the on the personality side his personality to this point just won't allow him to be anything other than the alpha on a team but is but he's just not that guy. He's not a LeBron. Like he's he can go toe to toe in a given game, but not over the course of a series or or what have you. So um, I don't know. I, I like I root for him in some ways, but in other ways, it's like, man, what could you have done with a talented guy like Carl Anthony Towns if you could if you could have found the way to get through to Carl Anthony Towns and teamed up with him instead right. of creating this ridiculous friction. So I'm always going to watch – the reason he's my buffoon of the week is because, once again, he comes up short on a team that is running out these aging dudes like Kyle Lowry. Like, what if you had a Towns? He wouldn't have had an Edwards because they never would have drafted number one if Jimmy Butler were still on the team. But what could you have done with a unicorn big man like a Karl-Anthony Towns? I we'll never know.
0: And would – I think part of the problem, too, is this. In retrospect – Despite the fact that they were close at the time, the Tibbs and Butler um, pairing was probably among the most counterproductive things possible. Because, I mean, go back. Like, Tibbs loved all that. He loved the friction. I don't know why. It's weird. But, like, he loved the turmoil, the friction, what Butler was doing. That supposed practice where Butler absolutely lost his marbles, right? Supposedly, Tibbs was, like, grinning and smiling and sort of like that. And in college or something, I guess that sort of works, but this is professional basketball. I mean, professional sports, that goes, that does not go far. So the reality was this, like what would have happened if Butler had been traded to the Wolves with a sane coach too? Like a coach that could have managed him and said, here's what I want, here's what we need, here's what you can do here. Like we can win a championship. Uh, Instead of this maniacal, yelling, screaming, Jimmy's my guy and we're going to kick some ass. Because that's how Tim sort of thought.
2: Yeah. And and now I am glad because Anthony, I'd rather ride the Anthony Edwards wave here now for the next five years. And maybe the Wolves can get to an NBA finals at some point, which would be the first time in franchise history. And Anthony Edwards in some ways is is like bizarro, happy Jimmy Butler. You know, he's he's more physically gifted but he's he just has this joyful demeanor about him that brings people together on the team as opposed to I mean even with the heat the heat with 3 weeks to go in the regular season we're trying to prevent Jimmy Butler from going at Spolstra and then you know it was just he just brings it, everything is so exhausting with him it's just right. it's friction and it's injuries and everything and through it all you can go deep in the playoffs but i just don't know that you can finish the job unless he is the second guy in line at some point behind mm-hmm. somebody else so. and to
0: do that he's got to understand that role which he he does not but yeah he is an athlete that embraces every bit of drama and and i agree completely in a long year that has to be exhausting mm-hmm. like everything's a big deal there
2: i do have a question for you guys about This week for the Timberwolves, because Tim Connolly is going to speak. You're going to be at the press conference. I'll I'll jump in on Zoom and um, and it'll set the groundwork for the future of this organization. But a real quick shout out to Valley Park Medical Clinic. This does not have to be an embarrassing conversation, guys. Okay, Valley Park is dedicated to providing breakthrough ED remedies to men in the greater Minneapolis area. Their treatments are surgery free, drug free and non-invasive. It's always good to hear. Uh, The Valley Park Medical Clinic team is highly trained, also good to hear, and they'll work with you in a discreet manner and make you feel at home so you can ask any question in a professional and confidential environment. ValleyParkMedicalClinic.com. What do you guys want to hear from Tim Connolly today?
0: Um, It's not what he's going to say. It's how he says it, and here's what I want. And the wolves are trending in this direction already. But to me, it's incredibly important. I want to hear stability. I want to hear a guy who has, and I think he does, but has a plan, stability. I don't want to hear cliches. I don't want to hear pie in the sky. I want to hear a guy who's going to um, bring in veteran experience and add on to what I think Chris Finch brings, which is incredibly important, stability. That is what this franchise needs. It, what it, it's how it's going to eventually hopefully be successful long term so there's nothing that i want to like hear oh man he's going to make trades he's going to do this he's going to do that that's all going to be discussed but i want to hear the most important thing that i think that sports can bring which is the voice of stability that's going to lead the franchise for the long term because it feels like this team has not achieved that consistently in ages
1: I think just, I don't know how he says this, but just embracing the next chapter of Wolves basketball and, and mostly with Anthony Edwards. Um, you know, I think Ant is the new face of this team. You know, I know Carl's is, is a max player and Carl. made all NBA and Carl, but I, I think Ant is obviously the face here and the Connolly's track record in Denver was he was able to get great picks in the draft, man, without being in the lottery for the most part. I know Jamal Murray was a great pick and the Wolves kind of helped that a little bit. But they've gotten great selections in the draft being outside the lottery. And that's that's hard to do in the NBA. And he did it consistently with Denver. Now, Denver hit a little bit of a glass ceiling. They obviously weren't able to obviously get past a team like Golden State, who's now back in the finals. But hey, the Wolves would love to be a Denver Nuggets team that is routinely making the semifinals, maybe popping up with the best possible roster, get to a conference finals, get to the NBA finals. Can Tim Conley kind of replicate that success? And yes, just bring that stability, that this franchise has mostly lacked for the last twenty years. Yeah,
2: you know it's funny. I, I don't. I don't know that there's anything Tim Connolly is going to say or do today that's going to be like newsworthy. He's probably not going to talk specifically about players because he, you know, he's going to take some time to get to know everyone. I think what I'm most curious about is in the release that the Timberwolves sent out. It said three people are going to be up on stage for this press conference: Tim Connolly, Mark Lori, and Alex Rodriguez. How many franchises around professional sports send up minority owners for press conferences like this for a president of operations? Have you ever seen this before? No,
0: no. And this is not a bad thing, but I think oh, it's, it, gr- it's great, but but I think it continues. I think it continues to address the big question, which is like was Glenn and I know Glenn signed off. Okay. Like, like we can talk about that. Oh, he signed off on it. He had to sign off on it, Judd. So it must be a big deal. Um, but my question from the day that this unique structure was announced was this okay that's cool. How quickly are we going to see though the new blood make decisions and do and and I think we're seeing it Here you and go. that is a great thing and and look, who knows it might blow up completely eventually, but I will go back to what I said the day that this was announced, and I think we all agree i would rather take my chances with what could go wrong to turn the page so so like so like if they start to say if we don't get a new building we're going to move or something like that that's a chance you're taking and i get that completely i understand that but the reality is anything anything beats where we were and technically currently are but it feels like we're not now
2: yeah, I mean it was there. There's no risk. You have know, people. Are, oh, I don't know about Alex Rodriguez. Oh, this Mark Lori guy. <laughs> Glenn Taylor is one of the worst owners in professional sports, and he's not a bad human. He's not. It's not like a Donald Sterling situation with the Clippers or anything like that. He's just incompetent, and he's been for 25, 30 years. And so I love that he has. I don't know if it's self awareness or what it is, but he's essentially saying, you know, guys, you handle it. You, you just you go do all the work. And I'm sure those guys came in and said, "Hey, can we take the wheel here? We'll definitely you know, right. we'll, we'll get a list of finalists. Very nicely, we'll, right? <laughs> we'll bring a couple of them down so, to Mankato. Uh, It'll if, be great.
0: If we get the driver's seat, and you know what? Why don't you ride in back? It's yeah. really nice and back.
2: Well, in fact, you know, think about Mark Laurie and A Rod and all the different questions people have and the hatred that people have for A Rod and his career. And you know who's this Mark Laurie guy? This tech guy coming in? These you know we're skeptical of outsiders here. The job that those guys have done building a relationship strategically too with Glenn Taylor to get him to buy into allowing them to own 25% of the team and then hopefully more of the team here in a couple years, uh, majority. And then the ability of them as communicators and relationship builders to get Glenn to just say, you know what, you just, you go make the most important hire in the history of Timberwolves basketball. That's going to lay the groundwork for. The Anthony Edwards, Carl Anthony Towns era for the next five to ten years, right? And 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 Glenn Taylor trusts them to do that. So, I mean, he's well, also in his eighties and on, probably just does. Yeah, just was the
0: apple pie, boys? Let's <laughs> yeah. get, let's head to that press conference now. Right, but Glenn, but those
2: guys have put in, and I've heard this behind the scenes too. Those guys have put in a lot of work to build that relationship and to make sure that hey, we 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 can make decisions, but everything is also running through Glenn. Still, it's it's a masterful job
0: of <laughs> managing well, up. <laughs> yes, and on Glenn, too, I think it's fair to say this. Beyond just like Glenn being Glenn, um, Glenn probably is one of the last ma and pa shops that, to own a sports team in pro sports. So, so like, it goes beyond just like Glenn, because Glenn was, you know, cer- certainly frustrating to watch operate. But the reality is this. Glenn Taylor was, I don't know, a bit like calvin and the twins like he literally would come up from mankato to watch the games like there was i know he owns corporations and stuff but there was like literally no to me corporate structure behind how he ran this team and in 2022 that's quaint but i don't think it's smart and and so so like beyond just well i'm glad glenn's gone i think when you look at the whole thing of how glenn ran this franchise It is probably, it probably left pro sports circa 1998 or something like that. Like teams are now run by moguls, by cutthroat moguls.
2: I want my owner to be able to show up on Shark Tank and not make a fool of himself or just look completely out of place. You know, can you imagine Glenn just sitting there next to, next to the other four sharks? And
0: and you know what? (laughs) Business-wise, for a long time, that dude did a lot of good things, and congratulations, that's great. But I just think when you look at Glenn and his wife walk in and they go sit in their courtside seats, and that, that's awesome, but it's not how pro sports works now. No. I mean, Mark Laurie at the end of wins, is taking off his shoes and taunting opponents because Does he's Glenn a Does Glenn take his shoes off too? Those little loafers? She put on his slippers, maybe. Um, like
2: Mr. Rogers. <laughs>
0: but that's just the thing Here is like It's just high time that teams in this town are run by people who have some cutthroat.
2: I think Glenn should take his sweater off. Was a little, I don't know if he wears like a little undershirt or something that,
0: there. That would have been a great marketing campaign. Wave the, sweat, wave wave the Mr. early 90s sweater. And start little... to play the theme. <laughs> it's a beautiful day in the Timberwolves neighborhood. Yeah, that would have okay. been a great idea.
2: So, yeah, I'll see what Tim Connolly has to say. I know you'll be out there, and we'll we'll definitely react to it on tomorrow's show. Um, all of this Wolf's discussion, too, presented by a partner of theirs, also a partner of ours, Federated Insurance. Been around for over 100 years, helping business owners in and around the Twin Cities area and well beyond, too. And uh, Federated has, uh, they have a website called federatedinsurance.com. It's very great. And uh, they have four key tenants that they operate by within their own internal culture equity integrity teamwork and respect and these four tenants or cornerstones create the foundation by which they do everything the way that they communicate with you all of their decision making etc you can find out more about why federated is a great partner for businesses at federatedinsurance.com, where it's our business to protect yours all right dudes Write that down predictions tomorrow and oh, accountability session Wednesday already Whew. over on purple daily on this Tuesday. Uh, we're going to talk about and speculate on the best case scenario for the Minnesota Vikings in 2022. What does that look like? And why does Judd only have it at seven wins? We'll see. I'll see you guys.